Let's just get to the heart of the matter of who Jesus Christ is. He has brought something entirely unique that nobody else has brought to the world. He has brought hope and love and human rights universal equality of human rights. He has introduced this to the world. That's profound. That's powerful. Welcome to Grace and 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. This is Ed Mellick and I'll be your host for the program tonight. A church for people who don't go to church. Is there such a thing? And if so, what does it look like? Well, today we're joined by John Sly, the lead pastor at Grace Community Church in Arlington, whose tagline is, in fact, just that. John joins us to discuss how he felt drawn to create a place where people who have been burned or bored by church, or simply have never been to church, can come and hear about Jesus and the gospel. We'll also be talking about a couple of topics that have been recently near and dear to John's heart, including the power of our words and the practicality of Jesus. John, welcome to Grace and 30. Ed, thanks for having me back, man. Appreciate I, it. I think this is the third time you've come on. I think you're right. You're becoming a superstar. Oh, no. <laughs> I just appreciate your gracious uh, invitation to be here again. So you were telling me that you grew up in a Christian home, and it's kind of ironic that a, a person who grew up as a believer would create a church for people who don't go to church. What's that all about? How did that come about? Well, it is very ironic. I'm the least likely person to lead a church for people who don't go to church. What I say to people is I was birthed on a pew. So it is, <laughs> doesn't make sense for me to be leading this, this kind of church. But God had me down a certain path that I think prepared me, um, at least in some ways, uh, to, to do this. So we are a church for people who don't go to church. It wasn't really a brainchild of mine that I had to do this, but when Grace Community Church started on Christmas Eve of the year 2000, we prayed for the first 18 months, what in the world does this is this church supposed to be or do? You know, it's a church, but we thought they had, it's supposed to have a niche to it. And lo and behold, after 18 months of prayer, this impression, I don't know how that works, but... So, so it was 18 months after you originally started? Yes. It? Oh, wow. yeah. This impression to be a church for people who don't go to church. You know, when people hear that, and what they hear is, don't go to church. That's what stands out, don't go to church. So we are a church for church people and a church for people who have never, ever been to church before. And what happens is our, we're eight times the national average. And the average church in America on a Sunday morning, 5% or less of the people there self-classify as a non-churchgoer. What that means is they've never, ever been to church before, or they haven't been in a long, long time. 5% or less. We are at close to 40%. So that's about eight times the national average. And uh, I guess it's just our niche. It's, it's, it's our calling. So here I am. This, this, is what, this is what I'm doing. Yeah, you told a funny story about how you were on a plane and, and you, were, you had been 18 months of praying about this and you kind of looked up and nobody else was on the plane around oh, you. Man. Yeah, it was. It <laughs> and was that's where weird. the revelation came to you. <laughs> exactly. So 30,000 feet, maybe that helped. So I tell you often about you really are a church for people who don't go to church. My my wife, Diane, mm -hmm. you know that we were divorced and she didn't go to services. We went to rest in Bible for years together and then she slowly started marching out the door. She would mm -hmm. sit behind us in the second row and then she'd sit further back and then all of a sudden she stopped coming. But when she left, uh, she didn't go to services for probably, I think, three times out of eight years. Mm -hmm. And when she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, she started coming. She saw you on the big screen yeah. in Westfall's church and she was like, I want to see him live. 
and 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 she heard one of the messages you gave was a was an Easter message, which was really amazing. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you find folks like that? Tell us some interesting stories about the sort of people that show up and and are like, hey, I haven't been in X number of years, or I was burned. Yeah, well, we do have a lot of people who were burned and bored by church. I was burned by church, that's for sure. But, you know, we have people on a very regular basis who come to Grace who have never, ever, think about this, they've never stepped foot in a church before. And for a lot of them, they come in and are like, God, I'm giving you one shot. (laughs) You know, that's a lot of pressure. But I mean, some of my favorite stories, we had somebody who was raised in a home that they were told almost indoctrinated the way it sounds is never go to a church stay away from people who are christians who call themselves christians because they're the stupidest people in the world so just stay 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 away and they live their life that way and they just you know that's the way they live that was their worldview in their late 20s you know life has a way of making you really think about things and they begin to think well what is this what is this, these churches all of What do they really believe? Well, they weren't going to go to a church, but they heard that there was a church for people who don't go to church. And so the idea hit them, maybe I should go to that church. So they called the office. I happened to answer the phone that day. They called up and they said, hey, I've never been to church in my life. I'm thinking about coming. Tell me what happens. And so they didn't know anything. So I said, well, we have a service about an hour long. What do I wear? Well, you can wear jeans, you know? And so we went through all of those specifics and details, getting ready to hang up the phone. And they said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. I got one last question. Is there a cover charge to get in? (laughs) So just they had no knowledge. And that, we we see that repeated all the time. I, I was talking to two different people over the past three months that they've come to Grace. They were atheist strong and one of them said you know i had a big poster because they had gone to a march and it was about atheists because they were an atheist and another person who was an atheist and they came to church sat as far back as they possibly could sit right Mm -hmm. because they wanted to run for the doors if they had to do that wanted to be on the end seat as far back as they could they came and they're like oh this makes sense and it wasn't anything what they expected it to be uh and i think that's a big part of who grace is is that um Christ actually makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So is this something you guys work at, or do you feel this is your calling and God just sort of greases the skids and everything work out? Or is it you also really work at creating a certain type, type of environment? Yeah, everything you just said, all of it is in the bowl. Uh, we pray about it. We work at it. Um, uh, we believe God is in the middle of it because we feel like it's our calling. But just because it's our calling doesn't mean that we don't study it, we don't analyze it, we don't think about it. So it's all in that bowl together that we're, we're, we're working at. You have been – we've been talking uh, about words in the sermon series recently – and I know that's kind of been on your heart. You were also you mentioned the practicality of Jesus. I can't wait to get to that because yeah. you know I, that's a word I use about the realness and the power and the practicality of God's grace. You know, we we hear the old adage: "Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me." But that, that's not the case. No, it's not. And and, it, and biblically, it teaches that's not the case in our lives. Really, show that that's not the case. What's what's been on your heart? in that area to tell people about, to kind of share with them regarding our words and the power of our words? Well, I'd say the starting point for me is that we have a word hunger. We have a hunger for words. Our life is shaped by words. Uh, We can say sticks and stones don't break my bones, but you know, you're doing this show, right? And if people came along and 100% of the people came along and said, hey, Ed, this show stinks. Okay, that that's gonna that's gonna affect you. You can't deny that, right? No, if yeah. somebody is an artist and everybody who comes in to look at their artwork says that has no meaning whatsoever, that's just garbage. That person is gonna eventually stop being an artist. So words 
affect us. And all of us can think of words that were said to us at some point, probably a lot in our formative years, maybe by a relative, maybe by a teacher, somebody. And we can recall those words to this day. I know I can. Some of those words are positive. Many times those words are negative and they have a profound effect upon our lives. Yeah. You said too, you said, if you want to change your life, change your words. Yeah. And if you want to change your words, change your heart. Yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot the last few years, uh, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yeah. And we're seeing you know, famous people speak all the time. And there's a lot of hatred being spewed and criticism yeah. and whatever. What's going on out there? How to, how to, you know, really, if you're going to focus on your heart, how do you change your heart? Well, first of all, the heart is different in Scripture, in the Bible, than it is today. When we think about somebody's heart, we think about emotions, right? They have a lot of heart. What's in your heart? Well, in the Bible, the heart is what's your top priority. What is number one in your heart? That's what Jesus is saying. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. So out of the abundance of what's most important to you. If money is the most important thing to me, then it's going to dictate my decisions. It's going to dictate my words. So the question is simply this when you're talking about the heart. What is number one? What's truly number one? Mm-hmm. in your heart. So that's where it starts. Uh, and then how are you going to change your heart? You're going to change your heart because you have to take a look at what makes the most sense to be the top priority in your life. What is it, as that great theologian Bruce Springsteen saying, everybody's got a hungry heart. What are you really hungry for? What's, what is going to fill your heart up? Because sometimes we fill our hearts up with junk food, right? Yep. Yeah. So we have to take a look at what makes sense to be number one in our hearts. So this is it, this can be discouraging though to people trying trying to, to change their hearts. You you mentioned that minor adjustments have a big impact. Yeah. I mean, can you can you kind of give the listeners some kind of a coaching uh, to say you know if you want to kind of turn things around, redirect your life? I mean, what what can they do in a practical sense to work on their heart? Well, there's the word right there that you used, which is is great, practical. So I think there's two ways that you can change your heart, and the first starts with Jesus, Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing for somebody who's not, let's just take somebody like all of my neighbors, <laughs> okay, who um, wouldn't give Jesus the time of day, right? If you add, take a short list of the most influential people in the history of the entire world, let's just say you had to put a list of 10 people together. On that list is definitely going to be uh, Buddha, Muhammad, probably Karl Marx, and Jesus. Jesus arguably is the most influential person that has ever walked this planet. He is also the only person that is on that short list, the most influential people who ever claimed to be God. None of the others would do that. So, I mean, that would be totally off limits. So he's claimed to be God, which C.S. Lewis says either makes him crazy or true, right? Liar, uh, lunatic, yes, or yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, liar, lunatic, yeah, exactly. Um, but what about Jesus? So I mentioned a minute ago that my, many of my friends or, or my, my neighbors, they would not give Jesus the time of day. But, and here's the reason why. There's a big misunderstanding about Jesus Christ because the very things they value the most about life are the very things that Jesus Christ stands for. Yep. So let's clear away. So I have these talks all the time because we're a church people go to church, right? 
Our church has a number of people who attend regularly who are atheists or agnostics, right? And so we have these conversations. And I say, well, what is it that you don't, why don't you believe? Well, because there's this person in my life and they say there's a Christian and they do and say non-Christian things and that's why I don't believe. Okay, so if you clear away all the bad examples, and let's just get to the heart of the matter of who Jesus Christ is. He's love. He's, tr- he's truth that can't be bought. Like mm. they tried to buy him out. And he said, nope, I'll always speak and do and act and everything truth. Okay? Yeah. He's love that can't be stopped. He's mercy and he's kindness and he's forgiveness and he's serving and he's praying for his enemies. If everybody was selfless like Jesus Christ and loving like Jesus Christ, I asked a group of high schoolers just a few weeks ago, I said, hey, high schoolers, if you could pick one thing, one thing only that would have a dramatic impact on this world, one thing that you could remove from this world, what would it be? One girl said Taco Bell. But <laughs> other, other, than, <laughs> other than that funny answer, if you really put some brain power to it, wouldn't it be selfishness? Hmm. Like. If you could pick one thing, Ed, like if I could eliminate, you get one thing, and it's gonna have the biggest effect on our world in a positive way, what would be the one thing you'd eliminate? Right, selfishness is probably what most people end up saying. Well, what does Christ stand for? He stands for radical selflessness. Yeah. So on a practical basis, Jesus Christ just makes sense. And that was what John was saying in the opening of his, of his biography of the life of Jesus Christ. He is the logos. It's where we get the word logic from. Jesus is just logical. He makes logical sense to this planet. So coming back to my neighbors, the very things that they hope for for this world are the very things that Jesus Christ championed for this planet. Yep. Now, Ed, you know this because you've heard me speak about this, but Luc Ferret, who is a French atheist philosopher, he wrote a book called A Brief History of Thought. He has done more for me, this French atheist philosopher of having me an understanding of what is it exactly that Jesus Christ has brought to the world, right? He has brought something entirely unique that nobody else has brought to the world. He has brought hope and love and human rights, universal equality of human rights. He has introduced this to the world. That's profound. That's powerful. I I love this, but there's a but. Yeah. Which, as you said, people say, ah, this person over here hurt me or did something crazy. Yeah. The followers of Jesus Christ don't do a very good job of exhibiting the behavior and the characteristics and the principles of Jesus Christ. Yes. For some reason, Philip Yancey writes this, for some reason God chose to share in the creative process with broken, sinful, messed up men and women, Just, mm. which is really strange. So what do you say to those people who immediately point to someone else who, who's kind of getting it wrong and messing up? They're on their journey. Yeah. I've, I kind of grew and learned to understand that because I made huge, huge mistakes. Yeah. I was forgiven much, so I love much now. But what do you say to people? Because what they're doing is they're, they're seeing Jesus and they're saying, well, where do I look for examples of that? And they're looking at his followers and it's, they don't like what they see. It's not very good. How do, yeah. you, how do you address that? Well, first of all, I, I say I can understand that because I too have been hurt deeply by church. I say I've been burned by church very badly. Um, and I've, I've also realized that uh, I've probably burned other people because I'm not perfect as well. Uh, 
it, it, it's terrible and it's not excusable, uh, but it's understandable because we're all broken. And then we come back to what the scripture tells us that we should fix our eyes on Jesus. And for people who are already followers of Christ, um, I mean, one of the things, and you know this, Ed, we do this all the time, grace only does three things, Christ, community, and compassion, and Christ is the catalyst for all of it. So let's go back and let's take a look. Let's get away from all the other um, issues that are secondary, and let's focus on the primary things that Jesus Christ stands for. And I think that's one way to eliminate much of this pain is let's focus on, let's focus on Jesus Christ. Um, you're right. Uh, there's, been a lot of, there's been a lot of pain. Gandhi said this, famous for saying this, I like your Christ, I don't like your Christians. Yeah. Uh, so there, there needs to be a constant coming back to who exactly is Jesus Christ and what does it mean to be his follower. So we have a, we're very well known for what we're against yeah. You've talked about this a lot about the book Unchristian. Mm-hmm. They surveyed 16 to 29 year olds, and 90 some percent of them, you know, thought it was all about homosexuality. Yes, you know, no one's talking about Jesus. And you know, what I found in my life, we need to be providing a compelling example of, of the realness, the yeah. power, the practicality of that grace. And so, you know, like for example, my story is I chose to love my enemy, yeah, and to do good to that person who hated me, bless those who curse you, you know, pray for those who hurt you. Mm. These are radical principles and we're not seeing them. What can we do? Like, for example, we're heading into an election year yeah, and it's, it's going to get really crazy. Yeah. It's going to get nuts. How do we cross these? How do we stir our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, whether they're Democrat or Republican, to cross the bridge, Democrat to Republican, Republican to Democrat, rich to poor, whatever? How do we how do we stir that kind of action within the church, first and foremost, yeah. I mean, you quoted Second Chronicles, I think it's 714, but if my people mm. who are called by my name yeah. will humble themselves and pray, he, he's like, hey, you want to restore your land? Let's start with my peeps yeah. and you know, the, the body of Christ, the church. Yeah. What can we do to, to affect some kind of, I'm thinking about this and praying about it a lot. We're, we're, we're about, a, I don't know, we're weeks away from the beginning of the one year cycle, the, yeah. the race to the election. What do we do? Well, I think you said it a minute ago, at least that's the first step I think of when you said pray for your enemies, this is what Christ calls us to do. And so we should pray for people who have a different perspective uh, than, than we do. And I think that does a world of work on our hearts when we start praying. And I think there's a right way to pray too, not yeah. a self-righteous, you know, help this poor, you know, it's like the, the sinner and the Pharisee yeah. before the temple, you know, yeah. God, thank you that I'm not like this man here. Yes. But the sinner was like, oh, I'm, I'm not worthy to come in here and pray. And who went away justified. Right, yeah, you're actually asking God to bless your enemies. Yep. That's really hard to do, man, that's really hard to do. But here's here's something else in addition to the prayer to, to, to think about it. Um, you know, it, it takes love to deal with people who are different than you. What keeps a marriage together? All of a sudden you realize you thought you were so much alike and you realize you're so radically different. What is lacking, uh, you know, that is going to cause that to just kind of blow apart? Doesn't it take a lot of love to deal with diversity? Yep. So when people are a lot different from me, and I, I, I see this all the time because we're a church for people who don't go to church. And the most common reaction from a church goer, non-church goers love that. They're like, oh, got it. Thank you very much for creating this. And they, they come into grace. But it's the churchgoer who hears that's like, no, that's not for me. Yep. That's very interesting. So you don't have enough love of Jesus to be in a room with a bunch of other people who aren't followers. So, so well, I'm coming back to the basis here. How do you deal with this election coming up? Diversity. Diversity actually means diversity. 
<laughs> you know, that means everybody's not going to think the way that you do. Yep. All right. So, so there's a rub there. Yep. Can we deal with that? Do we have enough love in our hearts to deal with diversity? Do we have enough love in our hearts to actually be inclusive? This is very, very, very difficult. And also, love is love is not a feeling at all. It's a choice. Yep. You choose to love. Yep. So when you say, do you have enough love in your heart? You have to make a decision. I'm, I'm going to submit to this. I'm going to. I did it with Diane. She was clobbering me in court. She was, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was over. She was leaving. There was no stopping her. And I chose to just start serving her and loving her no matter what. Yeah. And, and it's really hard. And yeah. we tend to just quit. You know, you do something nice. You don't get thanked or whatever. And you just quit. Yeah. And, but that's not grace. Grace is unwavering. Yeah. And so it's this, how do we, how do we stir people to do this, to actually take the time to go across the cafeteria? Yeah. And sit with someone different to, to you know, to, to make a phone call, to do whatever in the community, to, get, to cross these boundaries. You've yes. talked about this in the past, proximity. Yes. And getting close to people that are different than us. Yeah. I mean, is, is there a practical way? Is there something that you've, you know, I, maybe I, I'm challenging I, you to I, think about. Is there, is there some sort of campaign we can mount to? Oh, that's a good idea. But I think that, again, you've tapped into something that's really important. You said you did things even when you didn't feel it, and love is not a feeling. I think that's it. We have to do things that we don't feel like doing because love is a decision, not a feeling. If you go to dictionary.com, it's going to say love is a strong feeling. If you open up the Bible, it's going to say love is actually 15 decisions that you make. The decision to be patient when you don't feel like being patient. The decision to be kind when you feel like being rude. That's what you did. That's Mm -hmm. what you did for Diane. And that ended up working in your heart deeply, and eventually it healed your relationship. Well, that's the I tell people all the time. You don't need two people to do this. Right. Because that's been an excuse in so many marriages. Well, if you don't both work on this, it's never going to happen. Wrong. If someone starts behaving like Jesus Christ in the relationship, it's just the power is ridiculous. Yeah. And Diane, her heart just started to melt. Yeah. And, and she started to call me more and be reliant on me in our relationship over, as you know, a 10-year period was restored. Yeah. yeah. It's just so I can't. I want everybody to know about this. Yeah. So let's let's couple things because we've only got uh, probably another five minutes or so. I want to talk about the practicality of Jesus. What yeah. what do you mean when you say that? And how can you kind of reduce it in some way that makes people say, "Yeah, I can. I get this. I can. I can be a part of this." Jesus, John chapter one. Jesus is the logos, which means that Jesus is the logic that's come down. Jesus just makes life work. You just talked about relationships. The quality of your life, according to a Harvard study, the quality of life determines the quality of your quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships. How do relationships work best? They work best by the very things that Jesus Christ stands for. I did not come to be served, but to serve others. Ah, that's how relationships work. That's how they work the best is when you're serving. You should forgive our Father, heart in heaven, right? Right. Yeah, we're forgive. commanded forgive. to forgive. Right, yeah. right, right. We forgive. Relationships work best when you forgive and when you serve other people. These are the very this is the essence of Jesus Christ. What is love? Love is always self-sacrifice. It's always we measure love. I would challenge you, Ed, find me a famous popular love story, love movie, romantic movie, whatever, that is not based on self-sacrifice. The Notebook, most popular movie of all time, as far as romantic movie, thoroughly based on self-sacrifice, because that's how we always measure love. It's the very thing that Jesus Christ stands for. So that is Christ. That's how life works. That's how it works best. And those are the very core things to who Jesus Christ is. That's why John says he is the logic that has come down from God. 
There are people in this world who believe in Jesus Christ. They just don't have any idea what he stands for. They wish that the, that the values of Christ would be lifted up in our world. They just don't know that's who he, what Jesus Christ stands for. Well, they need to see an example. Yes. And, and the problem we see, you talk about sarks, our human nature. Yes. And Jeremiah said the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. Yes. We see these things, now that looks good and all, but when it comes to us applying them, it's not for us. And, yeah. and we don't even realize, I didn't realize what a mess I was until Diane dropped the bomb on me. Yeah. Then I woke up, God used that to wake me up. How do, I, how do we awaken people to this, to, no. to, to this truth? in a way that they put it into practice in their lives. I, I think one of the things we're gonna to have to do within the church, and the church is we're gonna to have to have an understanding of what the scriptures are saying about Jesus Christ. I, I think that's the starting point. We're, we're gonna to have to get back to Jesus. You mentioned this a minute ago, right? We're in a very uh, tumultuous time, and you mentioned that the, the unchristian book, right? Mm-hmm. People say, oh, uh, yeah, the young people. The church, it's all about homosexuality right? There's only nine passages, short, tiny passages in the Bible that are homosexuality. Ed, when people contact me and they say, call me up or they shoot me an email, hey, John, uh, I'm new to the area. Uh, I'm thinking about coming to Grace Community Church, but I have one question first before I come. What do you think that one question is, Ed? What do you think about homosexuality? Exactly. They never ask me what I think about Jesus or the Bible. They could care less. Or Grace. Or Yeah, I could care less about that. My determination about attending your church, whether they're a church person or not, is all about homosexuality, which the Bible speaks very, very little of. That is just a fact. Nine times. Nine short times. And Jesus himself didn't explicitly... No, he did not. Yeah. Right? He talked about the gospel and the kingdom of God all the time. And about the Pharisees in their hypocrisy correct talk yes. about that a lot yes. yes i think a lot of us are pharisees and we don't see that we're pharisees yeah it's a dangerous place to be i think that in in church first of all that jesus should be the issue yep. number one and nothing else should supersede that issue that's what we should study more than anything else and instead we're spending all of our time on issues that the bible does not spend time on and that is getting us way off base so lightning round, um, maybe we got another minute. What is grace? What is grace? The church? Or? What is grace? Oh, that is the, uh, the technical unmerited favor of God. You know, grace is God loving me unconditionally despite uh, my imperfections. Mm-hmm. You know, God loving me just the way that I am. And us doing the same to others. Yeah. Correct? Yes. So... Who is Jesus? Uh, Jesus has made total sense of my life. Jesus is, if we truly understand Christ, Jesus is that person. Because in, in, the, in the Jewish tradition, which the Bible was written in, you don't put your faith in a thing. You put your faith in a person. And as Bruce Springsteen said, everybody has a hungry heart. Jesus is the person, the only person that will fill up my hungry heart. We're out of time. Yeah. I, I hate it. I like, I like to talk to you for a few hours if I could. Uh, John, thanks so much for joining us. Listeners who want to find out more about Grace Community Church can visit their website. It's trygrace.org. Yes. T-R-Y-G-R-A-C-E. 
A recording of this program can be found at thegrayson30.com and WERA.FM websites, as well as on iTunes and Stitcher. This is Ed and John signing off from Grayson 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace.